everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, I have a longtime friend of mine with me. Her name is Sarah Paik. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hello, Onni. I'm doing all right. And yourself? I'm doing well.、Um, so, Sarah calls me Onni because it means older sister in Korean.、Um, I've known Sarah. Like, I, li- I love telling this so- story, and she probably hates it. <laughs> no, I love But I've actually known Sarah since like, she was in her mother's womb. <laughs> yeah.、Um, like, so, our parents,、uh, we all went to church together when we were younger.、Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I remember like, visiting Sarah when she was born in the、oh、hospital. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> So, for me, it's really a treat that she、uh, agreed to come on this podcast and share a little bit more about her life and what she does for a living. So, Sarah, let's just jump right into it, if you don't mind.、Um, what do you do? Well, first, thanks for having me.、Um, huge honor. And I am a data science consultant. So, I work for a consulting firm, but within that consulting firm,、um, I serve to do actual data science work as well as consult clients on their data science work. Okay, so for someone that is just not you know, familiar with that world,、um, as far as data science goes, like what exactly is data science? Sure. So, data science is such a broad term and it can encompass a lot of different stages, but I think at its core, it's taking Data that we have.、Um, so, any data that you can think of、um, images, text, numbers,、um, and using that data and transforming it into something that can be useful、uh, for humans to take action on.、Um, and within data science, there's lots of different disciplines. So, there's machine learning,、um, which is where you take old data and And you find patterns from it, you extract those patterns and apply it to new data、um, so you can predict.、Uh, there's deep learning,、um, which is using nodes. And essentially, there's not any rules for deep learning. So there's a lot of different <laughs> disciplines within data science, but essentially, it's taking data and trying to make predictions out of it or trying to make sense of it. Okay. So,、um... As you're talking, and I think you've mentioned this to me before, but I did have someone on the podcast that I feel like does something a little bit similar to what you do. His name is David Shin. And I, he worked in supply chain consulting, where he would like predict、um, the best outcome、mm-hmm. or what would be more, most efficient for companies. Now, is that similar to what you do or different? I don't even know if you heard that podcast, but. Oh, no. I listen. Uh, and um, so, supply chain is kind of like the OG machine learning, actually. So, a lot of the tools that we learned from that we've learned to use in data science、um, come from the optimization models and the optimization work that's done in supply chain.、Mm. So, whatever we call machine learning today, in fact, is not that new. It seems new, but it's been going on since at least 20, 30 years ago.、Mm. And a lot of those fall under supply chain. Um, but I think with data science, it's a little bit broader at this point. So I would say that supply chain and op- optimization fall a little bit under the umbrella of data science. Okay. Okay. I think I follow.、Um, maybe to make it a little clearer for, for me and people listening,、um, could you tell me maybe like what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. So, similar to David, actually,、um, I work in, a, in projects. So, that's my unit of time. So, within a certain project, that's usually more predictable than it is within a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.、Um, so, within the span of a project, this is going to sound very familiar to you. I get a data dump or I go and collect data. And then I explore the data, look for patterns,、um, look for problems. And also take business ideas or business questions that are presented to me、um, and see how we can apply that data to answer those questions. Then, at that stage, it's either going to be visualization, so putting those data into charts,、um, 
or it will be putting them into a model if we want to predict something or if we want to create groups of similar items or similar people um, we'll do that so that stage of analysis is done um, and then at that point you verify your results so you have to validate to make sure that your model is working correctly um, that it would be able to handle different types of data um, and that it's not just performing well because of that one time, maybe because of luck or because you overfitted your model. Um, and then at the end is presenting to the client or presenting to the stakeholders. Um, so saying, I got this data, I started with this data, I cleaned it, um, and then I modeled it, and these are my results. And then you take your recommendations to the business. Okay, so it's so interesting. It is similar, like you said, to what... Um, our previous guest David was explaining to me, but you work for a consulting firm. So basically so, uh, an outside company would hire your firm to figure out the best solutions exactly. for their company. Exactly. So with, with data science and actually the broader term I think is analytics, right? You've, I'm sure you've heard of analytics. Mm -hmm. um, you probably have analytics for your podcast. Um, you have data. Oh, around. yes, I do. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> you do. You do. You have analytics for your podcast. So even that, like those stats that you see, that falls under analytics. Oh, okay. So you could be doing visualizations or you could take that and try and predict the future, right? Your future performance. Okay. So, that makes a little more sense in my brain, I think. Yeah. Okay. So... Say so you have this data. Is it like I mean, what are some of the could you give me some examples of what maybe companies are looking for when you analyze their data? Yeah, sure. So there's a lot of different problems that companies can be looking to solve. For example, um, a really common one is say customer segmentation. So if you are Amazon um, and you have you know, say you have 100 million customers, mm -hmm. not all of those customers are looking for the same thing. Not all of them are in the same stage of their life. So you need an intelligent way to group them um, so that you can target ads, target marketing to them. Um, and so one, one of the exercises that's really common is to do a clustering exercise, which is essentially taking each of your customers as a data point, grouping them, into data points that are similar. So grouping them into, say, you can say 40-year-old suburban moms and trying to identify different groups within your, within your entire customer base. Um, so that uses an algorithm. Usually you do clustering or you can do something like an RFM analysis, which tracks your recency and your, um, your, so your last visit, your frequency, how often you come, and how much you spend each time you come. So that's one common exercise. Um, and the application of data science goes so far. It could be one common problem that, you know, most data science students will go through is computer vision. So essentially taking data and identifying numbers. So if I wrote down the letter two, I mean the number two in front of you and I showed it to you, you would know immediately that it was the number two. Mm -hmm. But to teach a computer how to identify that, you would need to feed it lots of examples of handwritten twos. And that way it could identify maybe certain pixels need to be darker than others. And then it would be able to identify a two and then you would identify digits and eventually numbers and letters and words and entire text. Okay. <laughs> so that so that is that's a lot more advanced I would say than doing a customer segmentation I see okay but there's a lot of different problems the range of problems that you can solve with data is almost infinite right everything is data at this point yes yes so really I think as a data scientist you need to be pretty focused and it's really important to listen to whoever your stakeholder is mm -hmm. whether it be an executive or whether it just be a manager and they have a certain problem or question that they want to answer you have to understand what kind of models are available to you what kind of techniques are available mm -hmm. to to help to help your manager um, to help okay. people understand the problem and and the possible solutions wow so um do you enjoy this 
Yes. Yes, you do? I do. Man, I I'm do. like so out of my element right now. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. But I know there, I know that there must be a lot of people that would like this. Um, what do you enjoy about it? Yeah, I think one of them is at the very base of it, um, I like to be able to tell people the truth or to, yeah, I, I care about truth. And so with data science, the so much, like almost all of it is just statistics. At the root of it, you're using statistics and your statistics will tell you how confident you can be in your model output um, and what the range of confident values you can use. So at that point, I, I like that. I think that's what I really enjoy about it is mm -hmm. that people come to you and they're not sure, right? They can make intelligent guesses, but you hold the key, which is um, you can give me a bunch of numbers. You can give me a bunch of data points. And it's my responsibility to display that to you and to model it and to present the results to you in an honest way um, while also making sure to cater to your business needs. So then if we get down to a lower level, a lot of my time is spent creating things, whether it be like programs, so coding, or I'm sure data, uh, David mentioned this, but cleansing your data. So that's, that's really important is like actually once you get your data to put it in a format that you can actually use, mm -hmm. that ends up taking a good amount of time. But even in that case, it's pretty technical and you just are coding and checking your output. And, um, and then I think the other thing is that there's a lot of communication involved. And so being able to explain concepts clearly and looking at your face, I'm not sure if I'm, that's really my skill set. No, I'm no, hoping, no. I'm hoping that I was able to communicate some of these concepts clearly, no, but you are, you're doing a great job. Great. But yeah, so that's something for sure, because, um, everybody and their mom wants to do data science or everyone and their mom wants data science for their company. They want advanced analytic capabilities. And so they'll throw around words like machine learning, you know, regression, clustering, but it's really on you to be able to understand the concepts behind it and not just how to do it, but to understand the fundamentals behind it. So the assumptions behind every model that's on the data scientists to be aware of and to make sure that they get that information beforehand. Um, and then also to be able to explain what their model is doing to, to someone who's in a C-suite level position um, who hasn't studied data science or hasn't studied analytics, um, right? So if I say this model is, this model is statistically significant to the layperson that it sounds like, oh, it must be important, but mm -hmm. statistical significance would really just means they are in fact different. The chance of these results coming out, if these were actually from the same distribution is say 5%. So that's the true meaning, but to explain that concept and to have these statistical concepts to be able to explain them well um, is I think a really important skill and and something that I really enjoy doing because I, I like teaching people. And so I, I think being able to educate other people about, about the work that I'm doing is also really nice. Yeah, no, I mean, I, so, you know, as a feeler myself, my, in my personality, like the numbers, the definitions, like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is all great information. Um, but, you know, I asked, you know, for you, what do you love about it? Because I think part of me was like, okay, if she enjoys it, there must be a heart, like a heart behind and a purpose that she feels behind what she does. And I think what you said resonates with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that makes complete <laughs> sense. You know, like, um, yeah, I love what you said about you love truth and that you can provide that for people like that are looking for answers and like, hey, look, I have the real data to back up what I'm saying. And this is X, Y, and Z, what, what is probably going to happen. Or I can present these, um, 
like scenarios to you and this is something you can um, actually look at and it's real and I love that like I think that's so amazing and also what you're saying about um, just informing people and communicating what you do in a way that is understandable so important and I do understand it I think just for me I'm just like oh gosh like this is not my forte but you know what I'm learning from all of my interviews is man there is just so much to learn like about oh, there life <laughs> it's world. endless it's endless it's endless <laughs> yeah so I I'm very appreciative but yeah I love what you said like um about why you enjoy doing it but I'm curious Sarah like did you always feel that way about what you do? Or is that like something you realized or discovered along the way? Yeah, I I think um I think I started to like the elements of what I like about my job. I think I started to realize it probably towards my senior year of college um when I was doing my undergraduate thesis. Okay, so let's go back then. Yeah. Um where did you go to school? Um, I went to Emory University in Atlanta. Okay. Um, you, you're you from Georgia. Yes, born and raised. Yes. Um, and um, you live in Chicago now, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so we'll get to how you got to Chicago. But um, before that, uh, yeah, I mean, when you decided to go to Emory, did you know right away what you were going to study? Oh, no. No, I did not. I had no idea what I wanted to study. I kind of thought, I think I probably wanted to be a Spanish major or something like that because I, I like languages. So That's right. Um, I remember and, that. And for a second, I really wanted to do linguistics. Um, and then I ended up doing economics, um, which was pretty natural I think at that point because it was a good mix of kind of the humanities that I really liked and um, and that was kind of my introduction to just being in a real quant field um, where there was a lot of math involved. Mm. Um, okay so I might I'm gonna ask you a question and I don't know how comfortable you're going to feel answering it. Well, let's but see. If it's too uncomfortable, just don't answer. It's cool. But, <laughs> um, okay, so, I mean, you went to Emory, right? Emory is known to be um, a very, um, you know, a school that a lot of Asian American parents want their children mm -hmm. to go to, especially if you're from Georgia and if sure. you can afford it. Sure. So, for me, you know, you going to Emory means that you've kind of always been on the academic side of things. Is that correct in saying that? Yeah, sure. I, if I I didn't have a lot of friends, so I guess that means I was more into academia. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like so. I mean like, you know, academics wasn't a difficult thing for you growing up, right? Sure. I mean, I I think school came naturally to me because it was structured, um, and I knew exactly what was expected of me. Um, but within that, I wasn't always math was never really my strongest suit and um neither was science really oh okay but you decided <laughs> on economics and from there I mean is that related sorry I don't know where your story is going but I'm sure oh yeah so with with econ it it is related in that I I really like the concepts of econ especially microeconomics um and because of that I decided to make amends with math okay um which is kind of to change my mentality from because I wasn't born good at math or because I haven't been good at it in the past it means that I can't be good at it now um and I just said just learn enough math to be like a good economist um and to get through the classes and I think with that kind of mentality shift I became a lot more comfortable with it which is, it's not impossible. Many people before me have learned math. I can also learn it. <laughs> I mean, like, what kind of math is involved? Sure. So with econ, I think it's more like calculus. Okay. Um, derivatives are pretty important. But with when it comes to data science, a lot of it is linear algebra, which was not 
which was really not my strong suit. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think because of the concepts of econ, because I could understand what the concepts were, um, figuring out the math behind it at that point then became less of like shooting in the dark. Mm-hmm. And because I understood what the broader picture was, it kind of gave me a sense directionally of like where I should go with the math. Hmm. So um, after, so you, you, you were an econ major mm-hmm. and then after that, what happened? Yeah. So in order to, can I be really honest about why? <laughs> yes, please okay, be great. as honest as you sure. want to be. So even uh, my parents were not super happy about me studying econ. Um, they really wanted me to go to business and I told them, well, in business, you just learn how to package things, but like econ is where it's really at. Like that's where things are actually happening. And, um, basically we reached a compromise, which was one of my econ professors, um, who also worked at the federal reserve. Um, I went to him and I told him my parents are not going to let me study econ, even though I really like it, um, because they're afraid of the job prospects. And he said, well, I don't think that's really a valid concern, but if it's really about job opportunities, I would check out um, the uh, Masters of Analytics at Georgia Tech. It's a new program, and um, it's it's really really great. And if and if you come out of there, you're going to have so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told my parents, and I guess they just trusted this professor because he worked at Federal Reserve and was a professor at Emory and they were like okay well if he says so so that was our compromise which was that I would go into that program um, after I graduated from undergrad um so why did this professor suggest this program to you though I really think I mean with econ um it is a little bit related in that a lot of the math that's done in social sciences um it comes down to regression um and regression is 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 one of the most basic fundamentals of of data science and machine learning, and so I'm sure that he had um, colleagues or he had brushes with it, and so it, it was a little bit related. Okay, so um, econ and data science, though they're not the same. No, they are not the same. Okay, they are not the same. And then, is data science an actual major? I don't believe when I was in school it was, um, but I'm sh- I know that Emory probably has a quantitative analysis or something along those lines. So, trying combining statistics and computer programming, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, like business skills. So, oh, by the way, I should have probably said this in the beginning, but a data scientist um, is supposed to be a better computer programmer than every statistician okay but should also be a better statistician than every computer programmer okay so that's kind of the intersection at which so basically you code and you do computer programming that's part of the job yes okay now i'm starting to under i think that (laughs) i I missed (laughs) somehow um because uh, for me, so when you went to this, um, so so you have your master's then in mm-hmm. this in analytics. Mm-hmm. How long is that program? The one that I had at Georgia Tech was one year, so one full calendar year. Okay, so um, what did that program entail for you? Like, are you studying what you would actually do on the job, or I would say that it's a lot more that what you study in school is a lot more conceptual than what you actually end up doing um, in the business field. Sure. Um, Especially for me as a consultant, because when companies come to us as clients um, there, if they had a strong data science, like practice, they might not come to us. So a lot of them are not very mature in their analytics capabilities. Um, So that means we got to start from the basics, right? Mm. If you haven't even visualized your data before, I'm not going to do a deep learning model for you. Um, So in that sense, what we studied in school at the program at tech um, was a lot, was a lot deeper than that. So getting familiar with um, different models and the assumptions that need to hold for those models to be valid. um, That was a big study as well as um, coding. So 
um, there's several required computing like computer programming classes that you have to take. So comp sci, um, and then a couple of business requirements as well. Um, so when you started the program at Georgia tech, um, so I'm assuming you had to take your GRE to get in or, yes. okay. And then once you did that and you got in and you started the program, did you find that this was something that you would, you would like to do? Since it's so different than economics is like, you know sure. what I mean? Like, Well, so with economics, um, I mentioned my undergrad thesis, which was, oh, yes, yes. Um, which was essentially, so I'm sure you've heard of the prosperity gospel. Okay. So what I wanted to study um, for my thesis was, does preaching a prosperity gospel message or any message in that vein, does that increase giving to a church? Um, that was your thesis? Yeah, that was my thesis. And I actually got a lot of support from the professors. Um, Wait, so- okay, so for people that don't know what prosperity gospel is, can you please give us a definition? Sure. So the definition that I used in, in my thesis was any preaching that um, that essentially tries to that that i would say equates uh or that would say that the more money that you give to god or to your church the more money will return to you in the form of financial blessings or in the form of um, physical health okay great okay now um your thesis sorry my external processing mind needs to be have like clarification. Um, so your thesis was that one more time. So my question uh-huh. essentially was if a church or if a pastor um, preaches a message that focuses on motivating giving with the promise of being blessed financially or physically in return, would that in turn increase the giving on the part of the congregants? So this was your economic thesis? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So what were your findings? So I did an experimental paper. So essentially there wasn't that much data that, so this is kind of where it leads to, which is there wasn't that much data on prosperity gospel teaching and and how much money church members gave. Mm -hmm. Um, So I basically had to create my own, which was to create experiments. So I took um, one pastor and I found two different messages or two different snippets of messages. One of his sermons was more geared towards, you know, health and wealth um, in return for sowing a seed into God's kingdom versus another message that was more um, just, you know, about God, God's goodness or grace, um, something that's a little bit more mainstream Christian and and not focused on material blessings. Um, And then I showed them to different groups. So I tried to control for the groups that I was showing them to. So I would randomly select who would be exposed to um, a certain sermon. And then we did a game. Um, So in econ, there's you, there's lots of different games that you can do that are used for game theory. So um, essentially, you just give people $10 and then you say, out of this money, um, you can choose to leave however much in the envelope. And that money will then be given to your local church or your local ministry. So that's how I carried out my experiment. Okay, then what happened? The results were <laughs> that in my very small limited sample of of data points um i found that preaching a health and wealth message does not translate or the difference in giving um is not statistically significant it's not statistically significantly lower um for grace-based messages than it is for health and wealth messages okay so it really didn't matter yeah, it didn't have the effect that you would think that it would have for preaching that kind of message would have. Yeah, that sure. is so interesting. Um, I mean, I guess, but you said you're fine. You had a small sample group, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm not diminishing, obviously. Your oh yeah, your it experience. hasn't been. It, need, it would need to be replicated, um, right? In 
with a much larger sample group and it would need to be coordinated a lot better. But um, because it hasn't been replicated, you're not diminishing my findings. It shouldn't be but- <laughs> as fact or theory. No, but I mean, I just think that's really cool that you did uh, your thesis on that. How did you even decide to do that? Well, remember. with your thesis, you're, you have to do it for a year. So oh. um, when I was brainstorming ideas, I had a, a couple and, and my thesis director was, um, he could tell that, and also it's not common, it's not a common kind of thesis, sure. Um, for sure. But that's what I liked about economics and, and I guess in the broader sense is just using data. Um, it doesn't have to be moral you could study anything right Mm -hmm, you can collect mm -hmm. data on any aspect of human life and you can analyze it without having to attach a moral value to it right um and i think that's what i really liked about that and yeah and so i think my professors kind of saw the same potential in that story which is um taking a subject that's not often studied in an academic or mathematical lens um and subjecting it to to just cold hard analysis that's really cool sarah thanks i I had a lot of fun (laughs) so okay so from that thesis is what kind of maybe opened the door towards data science for you is that where you were going yeah yeah i think it was a natural progression for me which was the most frustrating thing for me during my thesis was having to collect data and also just the lack of data um if there had been a pre-existing data set that I could have used, I would have been able to do a much deeper analysis or, or, you know, tackle different questions or anything, but there was none. And so just the pain of having to go through that myself, um, I just thought if I had data, like it would be, what I could study would be endless. I could mm-hmm. ask so many different questions and try and provide insight into them. That's really neat. So um, you go through this program and you learn the things, mm-hmm. you graduate, right? Okay, so then what? Now what? You have to find a job. <laughs> sure. I guess that um, was part of the compromise with your parents, right? Job yeah. opportunity. Sure. The job finding process for me was not, um, was not smooth. Well, it, it, was, it was smooth enough. Um, essentially... I with with a degree in analytics um at least when I was graduating the demand was so high um but obviously there's because there's so much demand there's also a lot of noise um mm-hmm. so there are people who are going to lowball you <laughs> mm-hmm. um and companies that won't really pay um the amount that you're looking for and so I think that was my biggest struggle was just confidence. Um, I was about to accept a very low offer just because I liked the work that was being done. And I mean, my job application process was pretty typical. I just used my university job boards um, and, you know, just kind of mass sent out applications. And whoever got back to me, you know, I had an interview with and and it came down to my current company, which the consulting firm, um, and another company that um, that I was really excited to work for, and I really liked the team. Um, but in the end, it I didn't have any peace about it, which was really strange um, because my dad was very supportive of my decision, and he said, "You know, just do what you think you will like better." Um, and, you know, the money will come later. Mm-hmm. Don't chase the money. Um, but I ended up chasing the money because I couldn't sleep the night before <laughs> I was about to accept that job <laughs> offer. Um, and, yeah, that was a difficult time for me. I I did not like the job application mm-hmm. process. I did not like the job accepting process. <laughs> I didn't like any of it. So, essentially, what you're saying is that the job that you thought you would like – uh, was paying was offering you less money, yes, and so you felt unsettled. But I, there's got to be more. You don't think there is more to that? Um, I think. I mean, I think what would have what the really would have happened if I was really. I think I went into consulting with the mindset of just going to the military, 
What? And my parents, yeah, my parents thought the same as well because consulting, you know, there's long hours, there's travel. Oh, I and, see what you're saying. Yeah, so they just like, said <laughs> you're going to the military. No, they no, saying like a military mindset. Exactly. So okay. they just said, just you know, like, um, you know, if you were if you were a male in Korea, you would have to go to the army for a year. Just think of this as your army time. You know, go in, work for a big company, get tough, um, get your opportunities, and then come out. So I think that was kind of the mindset that I went in with, which is like, I'll try it. Um, and you know, and with consulting, obviously you do get exposed to a lot of different industries and different clients. So it's a great like starter job, I would say for most graduates, just because most graduates don't really have a clear idea of what they want to do, or at least I didn't. Um, I knew that I wanted to do analytics, but I didn't know exactly what kind of role I was looking for. Um, what my strongest skill set was. So, yeah, so I went in with the mindset of let's just give it a try because I was honestly at that point I was tired of looking for jobs and I didn't want to go through another round of applications. I see. I understand that. <laughs> okay. So at this company that you did, is this a current company you work mm -hmm. for? Yeah. Okay. So what was it like that first year then, you know? Oh, um, it was lovely. Um, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I was, I went in expecting just the absolute worst. Right. And just, you know, having to work weekends and late nights. And obviously I did work a couple of late nights. Like that's inevitable when you're, when you're coding at all. Um, you are just going to spend hours and hours and hours debugging your program that you wrote. But, um, my first client was really, really excellent. And a lot of that, I think, is, is just grace. Um, mm -hmm. I got a really great client where we already had a good relationship, where, the, where my company already had a good relationship with them. And I was able to do a lot of different parts of, um, of the data science lifecycle. So there's, you know, bringing in the data into the environment. That's, that's called data engineering. Mm -hmm. um, that's very important. Uh, without data engineers, data scientists can't do their job. Data engineers are the ones who do the dirty work, and then the data scientists get to do the fun modeling. But for a data scientist as well, it's a really important skill to have because um, it just makes everyone's life easier if you're able to you know, procure the data and be able to clean it um, and maneuver it the way that you need to. So I was able to get a lot of experience on the back end, um, and I was able to do some really cool statistical analyses um, for some high-level people. And I also got to learn how to visualize data um, using tools, and and that's a totally different skill set as well. Um, that's very aesthetic, um, and thinking about presenting data in a way that is visually clear um, mm -hmm. for the viewer. So I got experience in so many different aspects um, of analytics, and and I was given a lot of responsibility for an analyst, mm. um, and I felt very supported. I mean, I had some brushes with with some tough clients. Um, but in the end I felt very supported by the people at, in my company and, and, and they tried to set me up for success. And so, yeah, it, it was really, really great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like a real blessing, especially in your first year of working, uh, right after yeah. graduating. Um, what a blessing it is to have that sort of experience where people are willing, uh, to help you and to yeah. see you improve in your craft too i feel like is so important and i feel like your whatever your gut instinct was in choosing this job over the other job was probably you know um god just kind of i think so too yeah, i like didn't sleep a wink you. that night that's not me i yeah. can sleep through anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great um you had mentioned before that um, you had to do a lot of traveling. Is that just the consulting side of what you do? Or could yeah. you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So my first client was in Denver. So my travel schedule, um, towards the, for at least for the first year, year and a half, um, was a Monday through Thursday, three to four weeks out of the month. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I spent very little time in Chicago. Um, during that first year. And then um, because of the nature of my job, a lot of it can actually be done remote. I mean, now I'm doing all of it remote, but right. um, towards the last six months of my time on the project, um, they allowed me to work from home half the time. 
Um, so my travel was reduced to two weeks a month, which was incredible. And so that's just necessary because whoever you're um, contracted by just wants or requires that face-to-face time? Or? Yeah, it depends on each project. Some projects will be completely remote. Some will be, you know, lighter travel where it's only for important client meetings that you have to go out to. And some of them, they will expect, you know, um, a body in a seat Monday through Thursday every week. Okay, so I got kind of the big picture of what you do. Right. But mm-hmm. as far as like, OK, say in these client meetings, right, like mm-hmm. and they're they're asking you certain like what what is it that like they're expecting from you to see? Sure. So we'll just take an example. So we'll say that um, a certain vice president has a new product that he launched. Right. Um, so let's say it's HD video on YouTube. Say okay. you are you work at YouTube and you know you can select your video quality, right? You have 480p and 720p, right? He may want to know so a question that he might have that he would come into the meeting with is if I offer my customers 720 pixels for their video, how does that affect their viewing time? Do they spend more time watching videos? Um, and so he comes in with that business question. And then from my side, I would, you know, make sure that they have the data available. So I would say, um, first of all, how many users, um, worth of data do you have? How long, how far back does it go? Um, at what point is it capturing? At what point is it not capturing? Um, are there any areas where you might be missing data? Um, so like if someone just watches halfway through the video, um, will you be able to capture that as well? Right. You try and understand exactly the granularity, um, and the scope of, of the data. And then I would make a decision and, and say, well, based on these, I could do, I could do ANOVA. I could do an ANOVA analysis, um, or I could do a T-test. Right. And then at that point, you know, I, we would agree like, okay, so the output is Sarah will need to tell us, um, does, does increasing video quality increase the amount of time that people spend on a video? And if so, by how much, Mm. then I would go back. Um, and then I would need to check the distributions of all the variables, right? So this is where the statistics come in, which is you need, there are different tests or different models that you would do, um, for data that is distributed differently. So a normal cur- a normal distribution is a bell curve. Okay, yes. Right? I know what a bell curve is. And a is. lot Yes, great. So that that <laughs> this is this is a Gaussian distribution. This is the basis for a lot of models and a lot of comparisons. Um, but if a variable is non-normally distributed, say it looks like this or or something like this, right? Okay. N- not so normal. You can't compare you can't do the same test that you would have done. A lot of the models are based on the assumption of normally distributed data. So I would need to do my due diligence, make sure that the data is distributed in the way that I expect it to be. And if it's not, I need to find an appropriate test um, that will show the correct results to, right? Because I could I could force any kind of data to go through a test, um, but that doesn't mean that it was the right one. And, and then at that point, all your confidence intervals they're, they're shot. Um, you're presenting not, that's not truth. You're not presenting truth at that point. And so then, you know, after that, I would visualize the data in a way that makes sense to people and also present the statistics and make sure that it's, it's high level enough that, that anyone can understand it. Um, and for people who are more technical that I'm presenting to, if they have questions, then at that point, you know, I can answer them on a technical level. Wow. So some thoughts as you were talking, like one, I'm like, man, then there's so much data to be analyzed. Like that's just one little thing. Right. Yeah. But I feel like there's, there would be so much to think about, like for companies themselves to produce a better product and a product that will make a lot of money. Right. And then like, even you as somebody that has to analyze the data, like, there must be so much data. <laughs> well, actually, no. Data scientists will never complain about 
there's too much data. Okay. What's more okay. painful is when there's not enough data. If there's too much data, we, you know, you can wade through the noise. You can find ways of reducing variables down to just what you think would make a good model. Um, and, you know, there are also ways to determine what you should keep. But you're correct in saying that something that appears to be very simple, a very simple question, um, can be extremely involved yes. if you want to do it correctly. Yes. I mean, I'm like so overwhelmed. Like just because like um, I never I mean, I would never as a consumer myself, <laughs> I would never sure. think of that as something that's important. But it is, you know, and yeah. I can't imagine. Um, I mean, my thing is like, wow, data scientists are extremely vital, especially today you know the world that we live in today is extremely vital and okay so um what was i gonna ask uh so okay so as far as the coding part of it goes right like you coding Mm -hmm. things like when is that a factor man i have so many questions oh okay so the coding comes in at every stage so i would well essentially it starts once you receive the data Uh uh-huh okay so um if i sent you an excel sheet right okay if i sent you a spreadsheet with Uh you know a bunch of cells we can start there then i would bring that into my program Uh bring the data into my program Uh and then create visualizations out of it just to understand what it looks like and to make sure that there's no problems if there's outliers david must have mentioned this in his in this episode as well maybe um (laughs) if there are values that just don't make sense like if you have a hamburger that sold for a million dollars like something's wrong right so oh yeah all of that is done yeah so all if starting from the stage of cleaning your data all the way to producing visualizations all of that is code. Um, the visualizations can be done. Any stage of data science can be done in a click and drag. Uh huh. Okay. But you, but a data scientist probably wouldn't be doing click and drag for most of it. Um, maybe for the visualizations, since those okay. tools are made for it. But so yeah, so I would say the majority of the work, um, like after you've collected your business requirements. Once you're actually working with data, either procuring it or, or, or manipulating it or analyzing it, that's all done through code. So, you know, um, when you were asked, uh, when you're giving the example of like meeting an executive and the YouTube mm-hmm. views and the what quality, and then you were asking the questions, right? Like mm-hmm. in order to analyze it correctly, you were asking mm-hmm. so-and-so questions. These questions yeah. that you presented, is that something that like, is just like uh, uniformly you just ask these questions or is that something out of experience that you know these are the right questions to ask to this problem? Sure. I I think it would be that once someone is describing to you a business problem that you're going to have a couple of approaches in your head. So you, okay. you have a couple of methods um, and you're thinking about exactly what data you would need to carry out that kind of analysis. So is that taught in school or like is that through your own experience? No, I that is it's it's. It's both because when in school, I mean, the data is given to you. So that's the <laughs> other thing is in school, like most of the time they, the professor gives you a problem set or like they give you the data set. Um, and so that's what you get to work with. Whereas in a business setting, you know, people might have questions and then it's like, okay, well, do you have a data set for me to work with? And a lot of the times the answer is no, or like we have parts of data or like we were hoping you could get that data for us. Mm, okay. Right. So um, in that sense, I think having worked through a lot of things at school, like most people will understand what data they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I mentioned, like, you know, anything, anything with data, like data scientists are very data greedy. Like, we just give it to give it all to us right so yeah i think it would be um both a bit of intuition that you develop through your training at school um as well as 
sure some business experiences where where you didn't think three things through and then later on you regretted it sure. <laughs> mm, i hear some <laughs> that's the best way to learn live and learn burned. experience coming through um wow i just i apologize for the kind of detailed questions that i'm asking but i truly am curious to how all of this works and um Sarah, you know, you explained and you shared your heart about why you love your job. But I was wondering if there are any like downsides that you have found to your job or something personally that you don't really care for about being a data scientist. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of things. Um, Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot of things that are hard about being a data scientist, I would say. One of them is just the amount of buzz um, that comes like it's a very loaded term and it's a and it's it's a hot field. Um, And so a lot of times people are very enthusiastic. They want to have the most advanced models or um, really, really involved projects. And as a data scientist, a lot of times my role is like the party pooper and just to say like, no, we can't do that. (laughs) Um, Like, that's not a good approach right now. Like, Mm -hmm. your data is not mature enough for us to take that approach. I don't like like raining on people's parades. Um, And it's also, sometimes it's a matter of not being taken seriously because of my age. Like, I will present all of my recommendations and say, I know that you really wanted to do X approach, but given the data that you have, um, I don't think it's feasible and I don't think the results um, would be would be truthful and um you know some people will say thank you for your advice like really appreciate it still want to do it and um right at that point it, it, it can be just you have to do it um despite your recommendations um because that's what you're paid to do and you know you've made your best effort um but sometimes it, it is a little bit hard just to see to see people kind of sabotaging themselves mm-hmm. um even though i I've tried to present my expert opinion. Mm. Um, So I think that's something that's a little bit hard um, just because of how exciting, how exciting it is. I mean, data, it is super exciting. It's super powerful. Um, It's what powers a lot of the things that we have today. And so, yeah, just not being taken seriously, I think is something that I struggle with. Mm. Um, The other thing, is I would say, well, no, this is actually a good thing. Um, but what makes data science hard is that the technology is changing so, so, so rapidly. Mm. Um, and so to stay on top of those technologies and also to, I, I think that's the fun part actually is, um, to, that you always get to learn new things, mm. um, that, just because you've mastered one or two areas or one or two disciplines within the field doesn't mean that there's any less for you to learn today than there was tomorrow. And even something as basic as like the language that you're coding in um, today, it might be R that's really popular tomorrow. It might be Python. The next day it might be Julia. And so it's these things that you come to familiarize yourself with and you have your toolkit um, and then you blink five years later and it's obsolete. Mm. And so just staying on top of that, I think is the challenging and fun part of being a data scientist. Um, Man, with the, you know, ever changing technology that you just mentioned, like, is that, so are you just constantly like learning new things all the time and how do you keep up I should be um I I have actually tried to become better about that because sometimes I get very heads down in whatever project I'm working on and just kind of ignore the rest of the data science like literature and what's coming out um so honestly I just subscribe to YouTube channels and I subscribe to email lists Mm-hmm. Um, so that I can at least read about what's happening and then dig into any concepts that I want to learn. Um, and then also our company, you know, or at least for our practice, our company encourages us to take trainings. Um, so I recently got 
a certification with um, Amazon Web Services. Oh, wow. Um, for their cloud platform. Yeah. So yes. I had to study a bit for that. And then I'll be getting another certification probably later this month. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of continuous learning that has to happen um, to stay up to date. Man, that's awesome, though, that um, you really have yourself invested into learning more about your craft and honing it on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure it's difficult with how busy you are with your own current projects as well. Um, You know, you had mentioned, you know, one of the difficulties and challenges is just not being taken seriously because, um, well, you you actually said partially because of your age. Mm -hmm. How old are you, Sarah? Oh, I'm 26 now. Okay. So, I mean, and... If you're not watching the YouTube right now, um, Sarah also looks very young as well. (laughs) So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, 26 is not old. um, And I feel like people that are in executive positions might kind of ignore your expertise. But truly, this is something where you thrive in. And so... um, that's kind of, yeah, I would be discouraged too. Are there a lot of women in data no. science? <laughs> no, there there's are not. not. Um, there, I mean, it's not none, um, but it's but definitely it's... a very male dominated okay. field. I mean, yeah, so being there's real a couple here, of things. Yeah, I feel like that would be <laughs> one of the other things that might unfortunately looked sure kind of ignored you know and bypassed on on your expertise as well but man I sounds like we need more women in the field really yes um I I really really believe so um and actually my last year at my company I got to work with um a certain co-worker um and and she's female and um, and it has been the best year of my working experience. Um, just, and I'm not sure if it's only because she's female, but the perspective and, and the attitudes and, mm-hmm. and just the listening. Yeah. I think even just having another female, um, there is really important. And, you know, another thing is, yeah. So being a young female in, in the, in a tech consulting world is is definitely um you got to be confident uh, and you have to be assertive um, and you need to hold your ground and the other thing is just uh i mean i think this is probably a real struggle for most data scientists is imposter syndrome um because of all the things that you mentioned like how do you stay up to date with the newest technologies how do you know that you know everything that there is to know when there's so many different there's so much knowledge out there. Um, it is very hard um, to not feel like you're faking it, right? Mm. Um, you could be extremely qualified and you, because of that, like you have a thirst for knowledge and you're probably also aware of your shortcomings. And because of that, you're also more likely to experience imposter syndrome when in yeah. reality you might be more qualified than most people that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely, I think most women in, in technology and, and math and engineering, um, have felt that at one point. And yeah, so I think that's definitely a thing, which is, but I think something that I've learned is just to be confident, mm-hmm. um, extremely confident and, and to, and to say things tactfully, um, to say the truth tactfully, I think, um, is a skill that I've learned and also not to hang your identity in, in your job or in what other people say about you, whether they be your superiors or your coworkers. Um, they're just people like you. Um, and if you do a really bad job at your job, yeah, sure. You may be fired. Um, <laughs> but, but that's not your life. That's yeah. not who you are as a person. That's not your worth. Um, and if there are areas that you are weak in, you can always improve, right? And that's kind of the attitude that helps me get through it, which is that 
yeah, I might not be an expert in this. And that's true for most data scientists. You know, you'll be an expert in some things and in other things, you'll just have a passing knowledge, um, a working functional knowledge, but you may not be an expert. Um, but that's okay. Like you will learn how to use it and mm -hmm. eventually you'll apply yourself to that. So yeah, is confidence and being assertive is, is an extremely important skill set. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of what you just said is extremely sound advice, Sarah, and I appreciate you sharing that part of the job and the challenges that have come with it over the last couple of years. Um, so I feel like I could ask you more questions, but it, I feel like, but our time together is coming to an end. And um, before we sign off with one another, um, I was wondering if you could share just any advice that maybe you'd give to somebody that's thinking about going into data science or just any advice at all or anything I have, I missed during our conversation that you'd want to talk about? Yeah, sure. So if I was starting again, um, I think do as many projects as you can, do as many side projects as you can. Um, go on Kaggle. So Kaggle is a website where they host um, analytics competitions. What? So, yeah, so <laughs> Sorry, there's I'm not just laughing a bunch at of that. I just, no, no. I'm no, like, this, this world is, a thing. is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how do you spell so, that? Kaggle. K-A-G-G-L-E. Okay. And they hold data scientist competitions? Sure. Yeah. So they have, they will... So they will give you a data set. So there's lots of data sets available on there for you to go and play with. Yes. Um, and these are real companies or real organizations data. <gasps> and essentially they've been, right. They hold a competition and, and everybody can shoot their shot and make their predictions and submit their predictions and their model. And, you know, whoever gets the best result um, could win some cash, cash money, cash prizes. But most people just use it as an, exercise right to collaborate with other people to see how other people approach a problem and also to to also just you know improve your own skills wow i feel like that is such a great tool yeah um it's great it's great so is know, it you free do your, yeah yeah so the the data sets are there free um you have to put in the work um sure you have yeah. to do the grunt of course yeah so <laughs> um but you know, if you really want to grow, I think just being exposed to lots of different problems, um, you know, I, I really think that data science is also, you know, a language in a lot of ways, right? Um, you need to learn what, like, you just need to expose yourself to as many different problems and as many approaches. And then um, as well, I think just really being solid in your statistical knowledge, like, and not skimping on statistics and also brushing up on them even as you enter the workforce mm. um, since it can get rusty and, and you're not doing as, as rigorous school work as you usually are when you're in the workforce um, and staying up to date, staying up to date on, on the latest research, um, on the latest findings, the latest advancements. And one other thing that I would tell myself I mean, so many things. I mean, comment your code. <laughs> comment I don't your even code. know what that means. Debug but... often. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I think really just getting your hands dirty with, with projects is, is probably the most helpful thing. And I think something that would have helped me is to have a mental map of all of what we talked about. So every concept that, that we have, right? should be should hold a place in your head mm -hmm. um because there's so many different terms there's so many different concepts there's so many different approaches and models um right to be able to hold them in a hierarchical structure in your head and to be able to classify something as being um, machine learning being able to classify something as being supervised or unsupervised um, and having a clear mental map where that you can use as a framework um, for your, yourself to digest different concepts, I think will be endlessly helpful. Um, that was great. Uh, sorry, I have one more question. Yes, yes, yes. So, sorry, uh, mm, 
What are some good characteristics or personality traits uh, maybe that someone would have that you think would like data science? Do you get what I'm asking you? Yeah, yeah. What kind of person would like data science? Yeah, a masochist. Um, (laughs) uh, I think something should be extremely curious. Hmm. Um, Curious and a problem solver, which is such a generic term, but in the most practical sense, like, you should be happy to Google lots and lots and lots of things mm. um, and and to not know how to do something. Like somebody who feels comfortable being uncomfortable, right, which is how you learn. Um, yeah, anybody who enjoys learning and enjoys being challenged, I think, would be a great data scientist. Um, as well as being humble, um, it it can feel there can be a, a level of elitism i think that comes with the title or or working in data analytics or data science um but being humble i think will would serve anyone well um not just in data science but in any field <laughs> right but being teachable right um And yeah, and I wasn't really kidding when I said masochistic, like there are a lot of long hours that can happen when you're deep into a problem, Mm. Um, but you will enjoy it if you, if you like, if you care about the problem that you're solving, or if you want to get to the truth, if you're stubborn enough and you want to find out what's happening, you will find a way um, to get your program to work, you will find a way to get your model to make sense, um, and you'll find a way. So, a little bit of masochism, but in the end, you should you should really have fun. Like somebody who has fun solving problems. That's awesome, Sarah. I really appreciate your time today. I really enjoyed your passion for your work and you just really informing us on what it's like to be a data scientist. Um, So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you had fun. I had fun too. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions for Sarah or myself, feel free to DM me and I will connect you to Sarah. I'm sure she'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. Um, You can email us at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. Bye.